Last Sunday we taught about employees and employers, kind of a rare message. I've never taught it before and I don't know that I've ever heard a message about how to function in those areas of life, but they make up such a large part of our lives. And you can get that message on our YouTube channel if you want to listen to that or podcast. I'm going to stay in this vein for a little bit. This morning I'd like to teach about integrity, building with integrity, building our businesses, building our homes on integrity. Uh, one of my favorite movies is The Passion of the Christ. And, and you see Jesus in the movie building a table. And of course, they didn't use tables back then. He was being prophetic. <laughs> the tables would someday come. They would lie on the floor, rather, but they never used a table. And so he's building a table, and he's building it, and it's solid. He can sit on it. And uh, there's a, a church father named uh, Justice Martyr who uh, lived in Galilee around the second century, and he wrote that he knew of plows that Jesus had built that were still in use 200 years later. That's an amazing idea. I mean, when I read that, I thought, well, it was probably built right. It was probably built with integrity, the right materials, the right join, the right, you know, you build, you build to, this thing has to work, it has to last. I think that's one reason why people want, I see billboards everywhere I go, that it's Amish made. Or Mennonite, we know of Mennonite craftsmanship. I hear different people say, well, get a Mennonite plumber, get a Mennonite electrician, get a Mennonite carpenter to come in. And I think part of that, and I, it's got to be deeply disappointing when they meet one who doesn't have integrity, but what they're known for is the materials are, are right, and it doesn't matter who's looking, that they're going to do the job with integrity. That's, that's a major selling feature, that it's going to be done right, built to last. That's quite a, quite a reputation to uphold. I don't quote Shakespeare very often, so listen carefully. <laughs> Shakespeare said, this above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night day that you will not be able to lie to another. That's a great definition of integrity right there. If you're honest about to yourself, that's integrity. Being honest to yourself. He said if to your own self you're, you're true, you're honest, it makes it really hard to lie to other people because you won't tolerate a lie in your heart. Integrity has to do with inner honesty. It's actually, it's a building term. It's an architectural term. Or something's built with integrity. It's, 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 it's uh, uh, you see a join in, in furniture. It's built, built to hold. It's built to last. Uh, the word integral. Uh, being whole or being one. Integrated. Lots of different words that come from it. And God's looking for people who have integrity. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be the same 
on the inside as you are on the outside, and the same on the outside as you are on the inside, that you're one. You don't have a false front. You're not pretending. You're not presenting one thing one way, but you're altogether different on the inside. If you want to look at the definition of a, a word, oftentimes it helps to look at the opposite. The opposite of integrity is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a theater term where they would wear a mask and present themselves. They'd have a sad mask or a happy mask. But on the inside, the actor is altogether different. And, and when they took that, they saw that in the theater. They said, well, that's the way it is with this person. This person has a mask. They, they're, not, they're not what you think. They're not what they're presenting. So integrity is incredibly valuable. I, I, think, uh, I think the thing that's so hard on our society these days is when you look at Washington, D.C., and listen to what our politicians are saying, or even our president, for me, in the news, the news sources I listen to, I don't see any integrity. I see a false front, a presentation, but... When you, when you see interviews that, that just show that they, they're, they're hollow, they're not the same on the inside as they are on the outside, it, it's so discouraging. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a time politically that's been so discouraging with hypocrisy. Prime Minister of Britain tells everyone it's a lockdown, you can't go out, you can't mix, you can't party, you can't uh, celebrate the holidays, and then he's caught on camera partying. Someone else is strict, they lay down the law that you can't, you, you must be masked, and then they're caught that day at another event unmasked. And that kind of hypocrisy is really hard. We can tolerate a lot of things, but we hate hypocrisy. When I ask people, and I, I often will find out why people don't come to church, they'll say, because it's full of hypocrites. I ask them, what, the, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, there's people there that they have a false front. They have, one, they have a Sunday face, and they have another face for the rest of the week during work or during life that it doesn't match. And there's a truth to that. There's a truth to that. But there's, it, it's just as true in our, among our scientists. It's just as true among... People in Wall Street, it's just as true, and people in, in government, it's just as true. There's, there's hypocrisy in everything. We hate it in the church, though. And there's one story in Galatians. Paul's writing out his testimony to the Galatians for a purpose. And he tells this story in 2 Galatians chapter 2, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. He, uh, rather than just read it, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to it. and Maybe it'll come up on the screen. But, but the story is this. Paul's working among Gentiles, and he led a whole bunch of them to the Lord. And if you can imagine this whole group of, of Gentile young people, and, and Paul's a Jew, and he's loving them up one side and down the other, and leads them into the truth of the gospel, and he's discipling them. They have a discipleship school, and Peter comes to town. And Peter, Peter they, they know his name because he's such a central 
part of the gospel story. You can't tell the gospel story without talking about Peter. Peter walked on water. Peter was a disciple. Peter was there uh, when Jesus was crucified. I mean, he's a central part of the gospel story. And it's like the, this major hero who you've heard about now comes to your town. And he comes to, and he's sitting at the picnic table, and they would have class, and they would have lunch, and Peter's sitting elbow to elbow with the other students, these Gentile young people, and everything's going good until all of a sudden these black-robed guys from Jerusalem show up. And they are coming out of James's church, and they're legalistic. They're all dressed. I pictured them with, dressed in black with the black hat, the whole thing, and they're, they're there, and they show up. And um, all of a sudden, Peter won't eat with the Gentiles because it's forbidden by law to eat with Gentiles. So he goes off. He's sitting at a picnic table all by himself. And not only that, but he, this dissimulation uh, spread to the heart of Barnabas. And here's Barnabas, Paul's partner. And he won't eat with the Gentiles for fear of what the, what the uh, Jews, Christian Jews may say from Jerusalem. And uh, Peter said, or Paul said he played the hypocrite. And Barnabas was led away with their hypocrisy. And he says, when I saw that they weren't walking in a straightforward way, I confronted them publicly. And that's how you deal with hypocrisy. That's what Jesus did. Exposed it to the light. Can you imagine that moment where Peter's eating at his own picnic table with Barnabas and, and, the, and the young Gentile young people? Can you imagine what was going on in their minds? They're thinking, man, yesterday he ate with us. Yesterday he's our hero. He's, he's, he's Peter. And, and now he won't look at us. Now he won't eat with us. Now he pretends he doesn't know us. Can you imagine if Paul let that stand and they would walk away for years to come thinking, man, I, I was trusting this church leader to be true and true, straightforward, and to find out that he was pretending not to know us. I mean, that would just eat away at their faith. The enemy would just consume them. They, they probably wouldn't survive it. Most of us don't survive when we see real blatant hypocrisy. So Paul's reaction is the right reaction. Paul's reaction is he stood up at lunchtime and said, you hypocrites, yesterday you were eating lunch with these young people, and today you're not. He called him on it to his face. Boy, that, that's tremendous courage. Powerful thing. No one likes hypocrisy. Yet... Our integrity is always tested. We don't always get it right. Probably the best place to build integrity is at home. Every day, David, he said, I, I walk in my integrity. He understood it was a step at a time. He understood it was in little things. Moms and dads that are here, you get your kids to lie for you. Tell someone on the phone or someone at the door something that isn't true. And then you wonder later on why they, why they don't trust what you say. Talk about the people at church. I remember when Heather and I were just starting out, we just made a decision that 
we would never talk about other people in our church at our table unless it was honoring. That we just didn't want our kids to see that what we saw, I mean, the fact is, the closer you are in fellowship, you see the flaws and the faults and the failures of each other. But we don't talk about those things. We don't have the pastor for lunch. He's not perfect, but to talk about all his faults and failures to your kids, and then you wonder why they don't want to go to church someday down the way, well, you sowed it. <laughs> you demonstrated it. Or if you lie to them, tell, telling people that you forgot when you didn't really forget, you just didn't want to do it. There's times when you will forget, but there are very few times that you'll forget. But when you do forget, you can say, I forgot, and people will believe you because you're not using that as, as just a line. Keeping your word, following through, no matter, even if it's painful, even if it costs you something, being a, being a, a man of your word, and I say that, without any gender, it's just being a man, that phrase, being, being a person who keeps their word. When you say you're going to be on time, be on time. Work at it. Move, move everything you can to keep your word. That kind of integrity in the, in the walk of life, in the, in the details of life. Integrity really starts at home. David, he, he would say, but as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Another, another place, I love this. This is out of the Today's Living Bible. Listen to this. He says, I will try to walk a blameless path. It's a walk. It's one step at a time. Nobody gets it perfect. But how I need your help, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. That's Psalm 101, verse 2 in the Today's Living Bible. It's not easy to walk this walk of integrity. But if you're going to build your life in integrity, it starts, it starts at home. And it spills over into the everyday parts of life. A large part of your, your life is work. And, and not, you know, we don't call in sick to the boss when we're not sick. We don't make excuses for poor workmanship or we don't, we don't blame other people for stuff that we did. Walk in integrity that your boss sees you as trustworthy through and through. You're a straight shooter. I'll tell you, that'll lead to promotions. That'll lead to the best jobs. That'll lead to opportunities that they won't give to other people because you're trustworthy. And it starts it's, it's in a lot of little things. Your integrity will be tested. Job, the story of Job, more than anything else, you can interpret it lots of different ways, but more than anything else, it was a test of his integrity. Between the devil said that he wasn't a man of integrity and God said he was. Your integrity will be tested. Mine's tested all the time. People will say, well, I said this and I'll think about it. And I thought, it doesn't sound like me. It doesn't sound like something I would say. And you, the only thing you could do is rest in, the, in your integrity, that your integrity will preserve you. And so it's a powerful thing. This, this thing with integrity is powerful. This lady went to a butcher shop, and she asked for a chicken. And he went out back, and he got a, a chicken that had been plucked and cleaned and, and went out and presented it to her. And she said, yeah, 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 actually, 
do you, do you have a bigger one? And so he went into the back, and he didn't have a bigger one. So he threw it on the counter and picked it up and threw it again and reshaped it. It made it, made it look like a, a different bird. And he brought that out. He presented it to her. And, and uh, she says, actually, that'll do just well, just fine. In fact, I'll take both of them. All through the book of Proverbs, it talks about a just scale. Well, most of us don't use scales in our work anymore, not in this country. But a just scales represent integrity. And it may be, you know, you read over those verses. I would, when you come to them, there's lots of them. There's probably a dozen just scale verses in, in the Bible. And, and don't just... Don't just say, well, I don't, you know, it doesn't relate to me. It could be, he could say cash register. He, he could say QuickBooks. I mean, he could say all kinds of things. That we, we walk in integrity when it comes to how we relate to people. That we don't have two prices, one for this person and one for that person. Uh, all, all kinds of places where integrity shows up in the workplace. But I know this in Proverbs 22.1. It says that a good name, a good name shall be chosen rather than riches, loving favor than silver and gold. Having a good name, being known as a straight shooter, being known as an honest person, it might mean that you have less money, but you'll sleep better. It may that you, you may not have as much money as the next guy who's deviant, who's twisted. I watched some politicians being grilled by Rand Paul this past week, Senator Rand Paul, and I you watch them squirm and watch how devious and they would give it partial truth answers and, and trying to dodge the truth and he would just stick with it and hold them to it. And they were just so, it's called perverse speech. And, and they were just so devious and so deviant. And don't let that be true of you. Just bite the bullet and say, I was wrong. I did it. I'll tell you what, back, back to the home again. For, for, for the dad to get down on his knees and said, dad was wrong. I said that and I didn't do it. I, I did that and I know it's not representative of who I am, but I did do it. You saw it. And admitting that, well, you'll gain more authority with those kids than sweeping it under the carpet or blaming something else. I think being honest about your mistakes, being honest about what didn't work, Pointing out a flaw to the customer and saying, this isn't what I was shooting for, but this is what happened. I want you to see it. I'll tell you, that customer will trust you with more work, give you more opportunities to do better. How about this? Proverbs 20, verse 14. It's good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he's gone his way, he boasts at what a good deal he got. Ah. <laughs> uh, There's a show called Pawn Stars. And it's all about this guy. He's trying to get the best price, and he always finds some kind of fault with it. But off camera, when he's away, he's always telling him what, what a great he needs to get this deal, and he hopes he can get it. And he always, the price, the way he works at pricing is just so awful. It makes it hard to watch the show. Here's, here's where it comes down Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth. In the meditation of my heart, 
be acceptable to you, O Lord. The words of my mouth, what we say is true, what we say is honest. The meditation of our hearts means we don't exaggerate. And when we say something, we misspeak. You can actually just say, I misspoke there, back there. I didn't quote that quite right. I didn't say that quite right. People don't mind that. But your integrity will be tested, just like it was in the life of Job. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, right around the time he's talking about employees and employers, he'll say, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in an evil day, and the Amplified Bible calls it the breastplate of integrity. The breastplate of integrity will protect you, will preserve you. Some of the promises, if you want promises to stand out, here's three of them. One says this, it says, uh, uh, Psalm 25, verse 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Integrity will protect you. It'll protect you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. It's like a shield. It's like a breastplate of righteousness. How about this for a promise? He who walks in integrity walks securely. What a place to live where you can just be at rest. You don't have to wonder about what you did or what you said because the way you did it was up front, it was honest, it was true, it was square, square dingham, it was right on, it was what it was your best your best intention. How about this? Proverbs eleven three. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. That perversity is that devious, deviant, crooked kind of what half truth kind of way presenting something that looks like a truth, but it's really not. The integrity of the upright will guide them. I'll tell you, uh, this, this whole thing of, 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 of you following the integrity of your heart, that it acts as a guide, you can make so many decisions, so many business decisions, so many decisions for your family. You just look inside and say, what do I really think? What do I really believe? What do I, what do I really feel? That'll guide you. God will use that mechanism to guide you. It, it'll make up, listen, it probably make up two-thirds of your decision just because of the integrity of your heart. This is what I really think. This is what I really feel. The priests in the Old Testament would wear this breastplate, and in it they had this thing called Urim and Thummim. And uh, I, different times, people wondered what they were, whether they're rocks that they brought out that glowed or whether they're special dice or something. But the word thummin is, is yeah, the word integrity. And I just think that somehow us as, as a priesthood of believers, what we pull out of our breast is our integrity. And it will guide us. It'll make most of your decisions for you. Just what do you think is true? What do you think is right? What's the right thing to do? I had a pastor one time who uh, they're looking to, to build. And when you do that, you're often in a position where you don't really have enough money. And, and that's part of the test of our integrity. The fact that we don't have money or the fact that we get sick sometimes, that tests our integrity. That'll show up what you're really like on the inside faster than anything. 
That's why God uses it. In this, this case, they didn't have enough money. They're, they're trying to build. They don't have enough money. And this widow, a widow who just lost her husband, she came in, and she had a piece of property, a valuable piece of property that they could either build on or sell and put that toward the building. And she said, you know, I don't need much to live on. My, my needs are few, but I do need some cash. I'll give you this property. And she laid out a price that was laughable, so, so small. And all the board members sat up and kind of rubbed their hands together, and they were so eager to take it. She left the meeting, and they wanted that meeting, uh, that property. They were all over that. And they're talking about it and, and what, a, what a godsend it was. And but the pastor's quiet through the whole thing. Finally, they said, Pastor, aren't you excited about this? And he said, no, not really. He said, I, you know, I think the, the, the right thing to do is to get an estimate of the fair value, the market value of that property, and give that to her as a widow. Pay for what it's worth. I'll tell you, when I heard that story about him, my respect for him went up. So far, that's, that's integrity, treating people the way you'd want to be treated. David, David was known for his integrity. He was known as the shepherd who led the flock with integrity. But, but he'd say things. He, he didn't wait for his integrity to be tested. He, was, he had what I call an aggressive kind of integrity. He would open his tunic and say, search me, oh God. Look and see if there's any wicked way in me. Search my heart. Show me it. Bring your light. Uh, he'd say that different times. Oh, Lord, bring your light. Come on, bring your light. And he'd open up his heart and says, now I want to see. Help me to see what's going on inside of me. Aggressive integrity. Powerful thing. Pastoring with integrity. It's, it's often mentioned in Scripture. David was, uh, led the flock with integrity, it says in Psalm 78. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Let the elders, that's the pastors, who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Those who rule well. We do rule. We, are, we do lead. We are in charge of something. But to rule well, and the word well there is an integrity word. And, and, and people, in fact, in, in this group here, we come from so many different backgrounds, so many different ways of governing a church, so many different ways of the leadership works. We call it polity. And there's lots of different ways and says, you know, where the congregation should decide or the elders should decide or the deacon should decide or the pastor uh, we, if there's lots of different ways to run a church, but there's no way that you can run a church without integrity. In fact, almost any polity will work as long as there's integrity. You subtract that, and it could be a, it could be a board, or a committee, and drive the church right into the ditch. They do it all the time. Number of people in, in, in leadership is not a safeguard. It's integrity that's a safeguard. So Paul says, let the, let the elders who rule well, let them be considered worthy of double honor. Powerful thing. And he, he also wrote to Titus about handling the word of God with honesty. And he wrote to the Corinthians the same thing. 
but that we're, we're not devious. We don't do things in the dark. We are men who handle the word of God and with integrity. Most people uh, who aren't Christians, who don't believe in what we're doing here, and they don't believe in the Bible, one of the things that they'll say is, is how do you know that's the word of God? How do you know that the Bible, and they, they often will cite the, the, the whisper concept. The whisper concept is that you whisper in one ear in the classroom something, and then they have that person whisper it and whisper it to the next person and to the next person. When it comes out the other end, it's different than it was in the beginning. And they say, that's what happened to the Bible. How do we know that what they heard and wrote down and then what's translated through the generations is true? What comes out the other end, how do we know that's the word of God? Good answer is to say, do you trust your pharmacist to get the, the medication right every time? Well, yeah, we trust the pharma. Why? Does he have integrity? Yes, that's why he does it right every time. Well, do you not believe that men of God, scribes, under the Holy Spirit, were not integrity? How do you know that what you're listening to when they say this is Bach or Beethoven, or Mozart, how do you know that really is what Beethoven wrote? Well, the person who's playing it is full of integrity and is true to the notes, true to what was panned, and they're, they're presenting what, what was panned accurately. Well, that's because they have integrity. We just happen to believe that the scribes and the people who wrote down the Bible were people of integrity. We believe that. In fact, it's been proven. They've, they've gotten these Dead Sea Scrolls and they dig them out and they haven't seen the light of day for a couple thousand years and they unscroll them and they compare it. You got the book of Isaiah 2,000 years ago, hasn't been touched by a human hand and then they open up the book of Isaiah today and it's verbatim, it's dot for dot. How do you know that the person who writes your software will get it right? Well, they're people of integrity, and if they get too many zeros or too many ones or they get them in the wrong order, the thing won't work. Well, if you can trust a geek, why can't you touch a Greek? <laughs> right? You trust a geek. Let's trust a scribe. It's a, it's a matter of integrity, and we have to handle the Word of God with integrity. God is looking. He's looking for integrity at home. He's looking for integrity in the workplace. He's looking for integrity in a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, he just wants your honest worship. I found this quote I thought was interesting. I thought I'd close the sermon with it. Listen to this. An excellent plumber is infinitely more admirable than an incompetent theologian. The society scorns the excellence in plumbing because the plumber's humble is a humble activity, and uh, yet at the same time they tolerate the shoddiness in theology because it's an exalted activity. Yet. Uh, they will not have neither good plumbing nor good theology. Neither their pipes or their sermons will hold water. I think we have to have good theology and we have to have good plumbing. The thing that makes good plumbing is integrity. 
to see someone who gets up at 6 in the morning, goes open their business, and goes down into where they prep their food, and they make sure everything is fresh, and everything's been kept properly and stored properly, and they bring it out, and they work hard to prepare it with the eye that the customer will enjoy this, and they should get value for their money, and they work hard, and no one sees it. They're deep in the bowels of the basement, and they're working hard to prepare food, and they want to make sure that everything is the way it should be, and they present it to the public. I, I think that kind, of, that kind of integrity, God will prosper it. God will bless that. People will line up for it, and they'll say, uh, they get it right. And even when they get it wrong, which happens, they admit it, they change it, they're fair, they're approachable. They make it right. I think, I think we should build our lives on integrity. I think we should build our businesses on integrity. It's not, it's not advertising. It's integrity. It's not promotion. It's integrity. It'll sell. There's a shortage of it. It's your competitive edge. <laughs> it's your competitive edge against all competitors. Well... I do my best no matter what, who's looking. I have to satisfy my own grid. My own grid says it has to be done to a certain standard. I, I live by a grid that I don't care who's looking. And when I fail to live up to that grid, I acknowledge it, I admit it, I say it. I make it right. That's integrity. Integrity doesn't mean being perfect. It's just that we respond honestly when, we, when, when things don't work out the way we had hoped. Amen? Amen. Amen.